I'm Alexander Hefner, your host on The Open Mind. I'm delighted to welcome Kurt Bardella to our program today. Thanks for coming on the podcast, Kurt. Oh, so glad to be on. Thanks for give, take, giving me the time. Um, Kurt, you are an advisor for the Lincoln Project and one of the leaders of the opposition to Trump on the national stage. Um, what do you think needs to be done um, in, in around the, the debates now that we've kind of passed through the, the convention period um, that would enable the Biden-Harris campaign to, to kind of steady the momentum and uh, not allow any kind of Trump narrative to get sucked into um, the, the coverage of the debates? You know, as is the case with everything related to Donald Trump and, and this current iteration of the Republican Party, the, the greatest kryptonite to what they're doing is simply to tell the truth. And the game that Trump and the Republicans are playing, and we saw this during the Republican National Convention, is an effort to rewrite history and to make it seem like there aren't more than 175,000 Americans who have died from the coronavirus. Like we aren't the worst performing uh, industrial nation in the world when it comes to responding to the corona pandemic. Like we haven't had uh, the worst economy in the month of August in the history of our country. Uh, that, that we have just turned the calendar on, uh, you know, as long as Joe Biden and the Democrats and groups like the Lincoln Project are telling the truth and informing the American people about the real condition of what's happening in this country, uh, there's nothing that Donald Trump can do that can separate himself from owning those failures. The thing about Donald Trump being the narcissist that he is, is that everything is always about Donald Trump but also means all the blame goes to Donald Trump as well. You know, one of your fellow Lincoln advisors, Lincoln Project advisors, Tom Nichols, um, <laughs> likes to say, you know, the Democrats are a suicide machine. And I point out to him over DM, you know, that they did not implode in 2008 or 2012, or for that matter, in 92 or 96. Th those were different dynamics for sure. But it, it really does feel, Kurt, like, Moderate Republicans who formed an alliance like you, Tom, others, Democrats, progressives like Sanders and Warren, who gave full-throated defenses of the ticket, um, there, there is an alliance. And I do wonder if, um, at the end of the day, Donald Trump is reelected, the blame will only be placed in one, in one, in one defining... <laughs> category, and that is the American electorate. I mean, can it be said that, that the truth tellers have spoken? And if, if the country doesn't vote for, for Biden uh, and reelects Trump in, in a way that is legitimate and, and viewed as, as legitimate, uh, that, you know, we basically conceded on some level our own stupidity. Well, I think that certainly unlike 2016, Nobody can make the excuse that they didn't know any better or that they, they didn't know uh, what Donald Trump was. Donald Trump has shown us every single day exactly who he is. I always say that when someone reveals to themselves their true selves, it's best to believe that. And I don't think that people can get away with saying the, well, I don't like Trump, but I like his policies. Uh, what policies? The policies that have effectively bankrupted our country, that have stopped our country in its tracks, that have allowed disease to spread and claim thousands and thousands of American lives, policies of racism and divisive 
divisiveness and hate and paranoia. Uh, we have seen this president every day take a wrecking ball to the pillars of our democracy, to the, to, to the Constitution of the United States, to checks and balances, to the institutions that make our republic a functioning republic. And I don't think that ignorance is going to be an excuse that, be, that can be claimed. If the American people give Donald Trump four more years, that is the end of America as we know it. And I think that the only way in which Donald Trump can truly achieve a second term is if he cheats, is if he steals this election, if he continues to do what we're seeing happen with the United States Postal Service and, and, and fight to ensure that, that ballots are not counted. Trump, the Republicans have certainly understood and, and have broadcasted in broad daylight their intention to try to do everything they can to suppress the vote, to limit the vote, to ensure that less votes are counted, because they know that if everybody shows up and every vote is counted, there is no path to victory for them. And that is still to be determined. And, and you are an insightful guest on this subject um, because of, of your past involvement with a Republican Party and a conservative news readership that was not just owned and bought by Donald Trump. Have, do, you, do you fear at all, um, and I know that Lincoln Project is rather unanimous in, in, in answering no, but asking you, do you fear at all that we have overestimated the number of Republican votes that are, that are open-minded to Biden? And, and that is to say, have, have the Republican moderates been overestimated in an analysis of the electoral playing field here? And, and you know, who, who is at this point not wedded to Donald Trump? You know, I think that one of the lessons that we can all take away from 2016 is that you can't ever take anything for granted. You can't ever assume things will turn out the way that you think they will. Uh, if anything, when it comes to what we call disaffected Republicans, former Republicans, orphaned Republicans, I actually think that there are more than we realize. Uh, I, I don't expect uh, the majority of, of Republicans who voted for Trump who may have changed their mind about him now to, to tell that to a pollster, to a stranger, to tweet about it on social media, to make it known uh, broadly and publicly. One of the hardest things to do in life in general is to admit that you made a mistake, is to admit that you're wrong. And in this era of social media uh, uh, and instant reactions and, and therefore instant judgments, uh, I don't imagine that it's an easy thing to put out there that you, you are changing your mind and changing your vote. That's going to bring upon you ridicule and judgment that you probably don't want to deal with in your day-to-day -day life. So I actually think that there are people who are disaffected Republicans who are going to vote for Joe Biden, but aren't going to say a word to anybody about it. And they're just going to cast their ballot and, and, and do their business. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing that says that if you've changed your mind, you need to take out a full page ad and tell everybody that you know about it. Uh, the most important thing is that you just vote. <laughs> you vote your mind, you vote your conscience. And I think that in, uh, you know, in the run up here to the election as, as mail voting uh, deadlines open up now and, and people are getting to cast their vote earlier. Uh, and, and I think that everyone needs to cast their vote as early as they possibly can for all the reasons we talked about with the Postal Service. But I think that there are going to be uh, more Republicans distancing themselves from Trump at the ballot box uh, than, than we're talking about in, in public polls or speculating uh, based off of what we see in, you know, in, in the public discourse. Kurt, the strongest statistical evidence for that is 2018 in terms of the House results and mm -hmm. the Speaker's 
reelection and um, you know that that's rather undeniable. Well, and this is the thing, and I'm so glad you, you brought up 2018 because so often when, when we talk about the election, uh, we hear everything about 2016 and people seem to forget that between then and now was a massive election that was a referendum on Donald Trump and Trumpism, the policies that have been embraced by the Republican Party during the first uh, part of Trump's presidency. And it was an overwhelming repudiation against that. 40 Republican districts flipped and went Democrat. That's not a wave, that's the tsunami. Places that we have never seen Republicans lose ever. Places in California, Southern California, Orange County, districts that have been held by Republicans for decades were, were flipped and became Democrat ones. We saw independents, suburban women flock away from the Republican Party and towards Democrat candidates. That wasn't an aberration, that was a trend, and that's a trend that we're gonna see continue in 2020. And for all the wishful thinking from Trump and his supporters and acolytes about 2016, uh, they seem to conveniently have a, a significant case of amnesia when it comes to explaining what happened to the Republican Party in 2018. And since then, the Republican Party hasn't recalibrated they haven't refreshed their message. They have doubled down on a message that cost them 40 Republican seats in 2018. They are still running that same strategy. And we already know that that strategy is an election loser. Right. And Biden is the candidate and this Biden-Harris ticket um, have, have modeled themselves as a team that can build on the 2018 results. And the, the question I have for you, Kurt, is, when you talk about knowing, knowingly reelecting Donald Trump, I wonder, and I ask you this, how many folks in those conservative districts where there are QAnon supporting congressional mm -hmm. nominees now, or even ca uh, not candidates, but electeds who are in the house already, in those deepest of red counties, um, what is your estimate as to how many of those folks might not have come out for Trump in 2016, believing that he was a he was still a, a sort of a product of New York and not a product of the Republican orthodoxy, or that he wasn't going to enact what he said? They hadn't they hadn't witnessed Charlottesville. They hadn't witnessed uh, the Pittsburgh massacre. Mm -hmm. And, and all these things that, that would bring uh, great, uh, sadly, great, these tragedies uh, and division that would bring enthusiasm to the, the darkest in the deep red, uh, the anti-Semitic, the homophobic, um, you know, the hate mongers. You know, do you have any indication um, how many of those folks might not have come out in 16, but now that they see what Trump has done in inflaming racial discord and projecting hate as president, you know, that, that there will be those kinds of people who come out now? You know, I'm of the mindset that going back a little bit further, I think that Trump always had monopoly on the uh, conspiracy theory side of the electorate, particularly because of his role in promoting uh, the ridiculous uh, assertion that Barack Obama wasn't born in the United States. Uh, you know, for conspiracy theorists, Trump's 
largest arrival on the political scene before he was a candidate was masquerading around the country, perpetuating uh, the birther uh, conspiracy theory. And so I imagine that if you are one of those people who subscribes to these insane theories, uh, you already you already thought Donald Trump was your guy based on what he what he did to Barack Obama. Uh, I, I don't believe that the coalition of people that that, that make up the you know the QAnon world uh, is is large enough to offset uh, the the exodus that is happening to the Republican Party uh, nationally and in places like Pennsylvania and Arizona and Texas and Georgia and Colorado and North Carolina. Uh, you just look at right now. The, the race to take the majority away from Republicans in the Senate and, and how many states are either trending Democrat or are pure toss-ups uh, states that we never could have imagined would be this competitive right now. Lindsey Graham in South Carolina is in a heated battle with Jamie Harrison. We're seeing what's happening with Texas being neck and neck. Mark Kelly in Arizona is running away with it right now over Martha McSally. Um, you know, Republicans are just underwater in so many places and in so many demographics that if, if, their, if their Hail Mary is to hope that the conspiracy theorists turn on the numbers and save them, uh, they're in for a huge reckoning on election day. Right. And, and the question would be not if those closeted QAnon folks come out, you know, or, or the kind of the, the non-civic participating conspiracy theorist voters who you know, like what they heard from Trump, but thought it was a fantasy, thought he would not actually be elected. It's, you know, those folks probably would not be in the suburban districts that the Democrats took back as much as in the very deep red uh, districts and, and counties. Um, but those exist in, in the battleground states. And so I, we really just can't calculate um, knowing the extent of, of the conspiracy theorist vote. Um, but it's, but it has been the case in American politics for some time that, you know, the far left and the far right elements, you know, if they're not satisfied with everything on the ticket, you know, a good number of those people have stayed home in the past. So this year will be an interesting test of, of whether, you know, there, there are those new voters who are coming out for Biden or coming out for, for Trump. Um, did you have any more thought on that? Well, I think that you can never, you know, underestimate the the lack of reason and rationale from people who who troll in those in those waters. Um, but I just I, I don't believe that that's going to end up being electorally significant. I think that kind of what you said, if it, the people who believe those things are already uh, entrenched and uh, and various places that Trump has already performed well in, there's no new votes there for him. There's nothing that's going to uh, offset. I think where he needs to perform to win because the reality for Trump is the amount of support he had was never going to be as large as it was on election day, 2016. It was only going to go down from there. That, that really was his ceiling. And since then, unlike most uh, presidents who try to maintain or grow and expand their electoral coalition, he has retracted. He has narrowed it and he has singularly uh, focused only on his Fox news cult-like following and completely disavowed everybody else. And as we saw in 2018, that is a recipe for failure at the polls. That, that, that is just not a large enough group of people to carry a national, a national election. And, the, and, and we're seeing the, the consequences of that play out in the Senate battlegrounds. 
And if the Trump coalition and the Fox News audience and the conspiracy theory QAnon audience was large enough, uh, you know, he would be growing and expanding the map, not, not, not making it smaller and shrinking it. And so one of the things that we're seeing, and we saw this during the, the Republican National Convention, was rather than use that platform as an opportunity to try to uh, recast himself as America's president, he has once again made it a, a, a binary choice of it's either Trump or, or, or America. Uh, this play on hate, this play on fear, this effort to scare America to death into voting for him again, uh, you know, tells you the vulnerabilities really of Donald Trump as a politician because he's not running on success. He's not running on four years of accomplishment. He's running on fear and hate. And while that may have worked in 2016 to some degree, in part because of the built-up legitimate dis dislike of Hillary Clinton amongst many different demographics in this country, that's not something that, that applies to Joe Biden at all. Donald Trump is running as if he's still running against Hillary Clinton or the shadow of Barack Obama, and, and that's just not what he's up against. And I think that that is one of the largest reasons why he's, he's setting himself up for an electoral shellacking. Yeah, and I, I hear that you believe that that shellacking is in plain sight. Um, and, and, you know, what you're describing about the Democrats' messaging, I always remember Trump using the idea that we don't have a country anymore, and Hillary Clinton should have said, and now is saying, if you vote for him or if you had voted for him, we wouldn't have a democracy anymore. And, and you know, when, when the DNC conveys the doom of the Trump reality of our pandemic-plagued existence, that, that is palpable and more meaningful because it's fact-based and 175-plus thousand Americans dead. So, you know, the doom and gloom, it, it's not as if just one side is, is doing it. There's real, you know, there's, there's real effect, cause and effect here of what it meant to elect Trump. But in, despite, you know, what you're, what you're describing as the potential for a, for a shellacking, would you say, Kurt, that you think the, the largest obstacle to the, to the shellacking or put differently, the, you know, a reason that the shellacking could, could not happen is um, suburban voters are turned off to the Democrats um, because of the perception that they're pacifying uncivil protests. Would that, you know, that is a concern expressed just these past days by Sarah Longwell and her focus groups, and it's a thought that one of your fellow Lincoln Project founding advisors uh, has conveyed, Tom Nichols, about you know the, the protest movement and um, that being one way the Democrats could, and Biden could actually not win. Well, we've certainly seen you know that the Trump campaign believes doubling down on law enforcement is is a successful path for them trying to cast Joe Biden as someone who would defund the police where uh, where if he were elected anarchy will consume our streets and civil unrest will become the norm everywhere in every suburban community in America the, you know, the the end of suburban life as we know it is something we've heard them them say and you know the thing about the politics of fear is we've seen time and again that that on some level it works and that's why they're doing that uh, I think that one of the challenges they're going to have, though, is is painting Joe Biden in that light. Joe Biden, who uh, has you know tremendous history and roots 
uh, in, you know, in places like Scranton, Pennsylvania, or, 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 or in Delaware, uh, a very different type of work relationship with working class voters and different image with, with them. The, you know, Joe Biden is not someone that you can cast as a, a AOC-like, Bernie Sanders-like, uh, you know, liberal, progressive, protesting in the streets. Um, Joe Biden is a much more traditional political figure. And I think you saw in the presentation from the Democratic National Convention, uh, the effort to, to, to paint Joe Biden as the everyman, as, as no different than the average American, someone who, 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 who rode the Amtrak and the Acela uh, and, and, and connects with people on a very human level. Uh, Joe Biden's humanity is, is, is his greatest asset and strength. And it's a lot harder to portray him as this uh, uh, protesting uh, you know, vi vigilante. Um, you know, the problem I think Trump has is on one hand, they try to tell us that Joe Biden is frail. He's not all there. He's weak. He's bumbling. He's, he's a senior citizen. Well, you can't have it be that. And then also he's in the street causing riots, tearing down statues, lighting police departments on fire. Uh, those things don't align. Um, so there's an, in, there's an incoherence, you think, and you think that that incoherence uh, stymies the, the efforts to, to, uh, to connect with, the, with voters in general, not just you know, suburban voters uh, that might be concerned with uh, violence, police brutality, and, and crime. Uh, but, you, but that incoherence, would you say, is that a hallmark of unsuccessful campaigns, presidential and otherwise? Yeah, I think that when you have uh, a campaign that's, that's telling multiple stories that are in contradiction with one another that shows that they're really just throwing something at the, at the wall hoping it sticks, that they, they don't really know which way they should go. Because in the same breath, you'll hear President Trump refer to Biden as uh, he won't even come out of his own basement. What is, you know, he's so weak. He's, he's not all there. He's uh, suffering from dementia. And then on the other, in the other breath, he'll say, he's an agitator. It will be the end of suburban America. He's leading a revolution against uh, against suburban life. It's like, well, so you're telling us that this frail old guy who can't come out of the basement is leading a revolution against suburban life? How does that work exactly? It's a glaring inconsistency, and it just illustrates that they themselves don't know how they're going to deal with Joe Biden. They don't know how they can cast him. Uh, you know, they're just throwing things at the wall, hoping they stick. And as long as that's the case, I think that, that it will be very, very difficult for them to try to paint Joe Biden, uh, you know, as this extreme left-wing, communist-loving, uh, Antifa-supporting uh, agitator, um, yeah, th th I think it's very clear from these these contradictions that the Trump campaign really doesn't know what they're doing yet with Joe Biden. And they've had some time, and um, you know, we're we're watching as they do experiment with with all kinds of negative messaging. But if you were the Biden campaign, which of those messages, however incoherently they're painted, would you be most alert to as, as the greatest threat electorally, um, the greatest threat that would prevent you from winning? Well, I think that they need to be very diligent about how they're being cast in terms of uh, you know, the backdrop of these social justice protests. Um, Obviously, when you have events that are unfolding, even now in real time, you know, where, where 
unarmed black men are being shot in the back by police officers. These are very tense, uh, very serious, very, um, you know, highly emotional and volatile dynamics at play, any of which can erupt at any time. And, and so how they talk about issues of social justice and law enforcement and community policing and, and racial inequality, I think is very important. You know, anytime you're in a conversation about race, it can be a potential political landmine for either side. Um, and Biden's going to have to try to strike the balance, I think, of, of demonstrating that he is for sensible, fair, equal law and order, but also against uh, the, the murdering of innocent black men in this country uh, who are being shot, uh, you know, while being, uh, you know, hands up or not armed or, or any of that. And so it's, it's a fine line that Biden has to try to walk, whereas Trump doesn't have to worry about being nuanced. He, he, he has made his positions on these things very clear. Uh, he had put law and order uh, front and center during the Republican National Convention. That wasn't an accident. Uh, and, and so Biden has a lot harder job to do in this case than Trump does. And, and that's where the traps are for him. And as just a final quick lightning round to end, you'd say that that, that question of crime and, and um, being watchful of how the campaign and the candidate are perceived on, on law and order will be more impactful than um, corruption or insinuations about uh, his son and um, and perhaps, uh, you know, any kind of furthering of the narrative that he would be soft on China. Uh, you think that, that th those will, will likely fall on deaf ears um, compared to the, the, the uh, law and order piece? I do. I, I, I do think that, again, because events are happening in real time every day that breathe new cycles and new life into the conversation about uh, you know, social justice and, and, and the role of law enforcement and policing, minority communities, that that's going to be something every day that, that could bring a new uh, potential question and, and narrative into, into the political context. Um, you know, I, I, I don't believe ultimately that, that, you know, white working class voters, suburban voters, uh, college educated voters are going to make their decision at the ballot box based on, on, on China or trade or tariffs or anything like that. Uh, I think that they're much more preoccupied with things that are happening in their own backyard, per se. Uh, and, and I say that to also say that none of those things will have any near the impact that the coronavirus continues to have. And, and, and that ultimately, I think, is the, the most important litmus test in this election. And, and you think that's true, even if the Republicans were to hack and, and, and access Hunter Biden's emails and create any kind of distraction like that. You think that would still hold true? Sure. I mean, I expect that in October uh, they will release emails from Hunter, about Hunter Biden, and they and the Republicans in the Senate are using their their uh, congressional authority to basically do uh, opposition research for the Trump campaign. That's going to continue no matter what. I just don't believe that it's going to have the same effect that for instance, the Hillary Clinton's emails refrain had in 2016, because Joe Biden has a, a, a much larger reservoir of goodwill and trust built up with the American people. He is not seen as a character that is nefarious, as someone who is hiding anything, as someone who has uh, you know, colluded with the foreign power for, for personal or financial gain. Uh, try, trying to paint Joe Biden in that light, I don't think will be effective or will work. Um, and, and will look increasingly desperate as we get closer to the election. Nothing is more, um, I think, important 
to the American people than the response to the coronavirus. And nothing that Donald Trump or Republicans throw at Joe Biden will ultimately distract the American people's attention away from the fact that even still right now, you can't walk outside your house without thinking about the coronavirus and, 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 and potentially getting sick. Kurt Bardella, advisor to the Lincoln Project. Thanks so much for your insight today. Oh, glad to be on. Thanks so much for having me.